This is Top Floor episode 19. You can find the show notes at topfloorpodcast.com forward slash episode forward slash 19. Welcome to Top Floor with Susan Berry. This weekly podcast ride up to the top floor features tangible tips and excellent stories from the experts and characters who elevate hospitality. And now your host and elevator operator, Susan Berry. Welcome to the show in a world where most third-party marketing companies focus on independent hotels. Stephanie Smith created an agency that specializes in helping branded hotels get the most out of their existing programs and supplement the offerings of their parent companies. By continuously testing new ideas and moving quickly, Stephanie's company Cogwheel Marketing has become a force to be reckoned with. Despite the occasional pushback from her brand counterparts, Stephanie remains focused on moving forward. In addition to her company's work for clients, Stephanie's created a new tool that allows hotel owners and management companies to compare metrics across their portfolios, regardless of brand. Today, we are going to learn about that reporting platform and talk about how hotels should approach marketing in 2022. But before we jump in, we have to answer the call button. So Stephanie has helped answer the call button in the past. And today she's going to be on the spot with yet another question. The emergency call button is our hotline for hospitality professionals who have burning marketing questions. If you would like to submit a question, give me a call at 850-404-9630. So today's question was submitted by Shelly. Shelly wants to know how to measure the success of her OTA marketing investment. This is her question. How can we tell if the dollars are paying off? I know you have a lot of thoughts about this, Stephanie. So tell me everything. Tell me what you think. Shelly, that is an awesome question. One that is close to my heart. So, so excited that this is the question I get. So... When you talk about all the different realms of OTA marketing and we look at OTA marketing spin, a lot of times we're talking about Expedia travel ads and some of the newer options like Priceline travel ads or booking.com native ads. I love that this is a, a go-to resource for hotels, but I don't think we necessarily look at the bigger picture of how do we calculate the effectiveness of those campaigns. So if you have access to it, I really like looking at Demand360 reports. You can look at your channel mix against your comp set. So a lot of times people tend to look at that. We'll use Expedia Travel Ads as a good example. And they look at that in a very shallow and they say, okay, we're getting a great 10 to 1 ROI. But I would encourage you to look at it as it relates to your comp set. So you can go into Demand360. Where do you trail? or exceed the hotel in Expedia production before you start spending money. If your comp set you know, is getting a 6% contribution through Expedia and you're getting 8%, do you really, it sounds like your organic strategy is probably working for you and you don't, may not need to spend the extra money. On the other hand, if you're behind, then maybe you do need to put more. But then you also need to look at it from a spend standpoint. Like I can spend $200 for one hotel in Expedia and maybe I'll get a 30 to 1 ROI. But did you actually move the needle? Even if you get a 30 to one ROI, you make a few thousand dollars. Like, did you actually move the needle as it relates to budget? 
So you have to look at it for that channel to really make an impact and drive the needle uh, and make up that market share against a comp set, you've got to spend more money. So if you only have $200, is that the best place that you should be spending those dollars? So I guess I'll take a pause right there. <laughs> I know you've written a lot about this. And so maybe we can link to an article or two in the show notes for some more details. It's a complicated issue, I think, to explain. But you have a very hot take that I think a lot more hoteliers need to pay attention to. So speaking of hotels, your first few jobs in the hotel business were in food and beverage rather than sales and marketing, which I think would probably come as a surprise to people. What was the initial attraction to F&B? You know, I, I believe that I'm a hotelier first and a marketer second. But in my world of F&B, I started doing that uh, in college when I was originally getting an IT degree. But I loved the the people and the energy that F&B provides. So whether I was a banquet server, whether I was a bartender, and then later on in my F&B career doing events of 3,000 people, like the energy, the way that everything has to come together in the F&B world to deliver that seamless guest experience, whether it's banquets, whether it's restaurant, it has a different energy to it than working, uh, no offense, behind the front desk, which I've also done. But it's just... The way the people and the the adrenaline that runs through your veins running those big events can't be compared. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I my roots are in F and B. No offense to the rooms crew out there, but F and B people are the best people. So, what drove your move into marketing? I'm, I'm sure you've all seen those memes that people don't leave companies; they leave bosses and. This happened to me. I worked for Hyatt for seven years, everything from F&B to catering and event planning. I did task force, like all those things brought me joy. I, I drank the Kool-Aid. I, I loved working for Hyatt. But um, at the end of my Hyatt career, I just had a boss that pushed me over the edge. And I'm sure she's not listening right now because she's retired. <laughs> so that's good. But, um, you know, when I, when I was getting my MBA, I really loved the marketing side of things. And I went to work for an agency and I said, it's time to do a career change. So I stayed within hotels, but learning the marketing side of things, you know, 12 years ago, it was a whole new world. And I had the thirst for knowledge. And uh, I think that served me well all through now and into my entrepreneur journey. You founded your company, Cogwheel Marketing, after several years as VP of marketing for a third-party hotel management company. What were some of the things that went into that decision? I'm curious if you ever miss working for someone else or if it's like, I'm fully in. I will never work for someone else again, that's <laughs> for sure. But I mean, even with even when I was in a management company role, I had my own little division. I had carte blanche to do whatever I wanted to. But at the time, when I was on client side, you know, having a portfolio of over 100 hotels, most agencies I found that we tried to hire couldn't didn't know the ins and outs of the different hotel brand CMSs. They didn't understand how to manipulate and how to work within those brand ecospheres. I even at the time tried to train other agencies, um, but they were so fixated on their own technological developments that they couldn't grasp the, all the moving pieces of how reporting worked and how the different systems work together. So I said, I think it, there's a hole here. And marketing 101 is define your value proposition, what sets you apart, what's your differentiator against the concept. And I felt like there was an opportunity there. 
My title in my company is Queen Bee. And like me, you have an unorthodox title in your company. Talk about your title and why you chose it. So currently, I call myself the founder and digital matriarch of Cogwell Marketing. And Susan, you and I have had a lot of conversations about what should our title be. But the, the digital matriarch component actually stems from in my old my old job. I got the nickname of the digital overlord. <laughs> not bad, um, but maybe a little off-putting for clients. Yes. So it kind of caught on and how people called me that. And the reason was because I felt like I, I had all this knowledge a lot of people didn't have. Um, and I would come in with these crazy ideas and things I wanted to try. And people were like, oh, here she goes again. But the matriarch component was more about me even though it's my company and I have a team that surrounds and support me, it's very important that I'm still involved in the operations. I still love the problem solving. I'm an active owner. I'm an active part of setting the strategy and defining what the services look like to clients. And that part is very important to me. So I'm not some pie in the sky CEO that you know manages from 30,000 feet. Like I like to get granular and get my hands dirty. Understood. I'm going to level set the current hotel climate a little bit because things are changing very quickly. And the way that we answer this question today could be very different even tomorrow. So right now, as we're talking, while we're facing the Omicron variant of COVID, RevPAR was up over the Christmas holidays. Thanksgiving 2021 was the strongest hotel performance ever. ADR is growing. The general feeling is that Omicron is terrible, but is not necessarily going to hamper the recovery of the hotel industry. Again, this may all change. Our business is super fluid and you know things change on a dime. But given what we know now, how are you approaching big picture marketing strategy for 2022? That's a good question. And I think if we've learned anything in the last year and a half, two years, it's about being flexible. And can I just say that since we went through yet another typical budget season where nobody can predict the future, like, can we somehow move away from this looking at a yearly plan model? This not only a plan applies to marketing, but it also applies to revenue management and everything we do in terms of budget season. I would love to see us move, first of all, to a rolling 12-month calendar that we're always making or looking at it more quarterly because asking anybody to plan for Q4 22 right now is impossible. So (laughs) I feel like we do a lot of extra work that's going to change anyway. So can we change our thought process instead of devoting an absolute ridiculous amount of time to budgeting season? So I think some of the ways... I'm sorry to interrupt you. I have this theory that rather than setting hard dollars, that operators should set percentages. So, you know, of whatever profit we have, X percentage is devoted to marketing. And then every month or every quarter, you reallocate that. I think though, that that's a very difficult thing for hotel owners to present to their investors to say, Hey, maybe you're going to make some money. Maybe not. We'll let you know at the end of the year. That's funny you bring that up. We run a monthly collaboration call where other hotel digital marketers come together. Most of them work with other branded hotels and it's more sharing ideas, what works, getting insight from other people that are in the same situation as yours. That exact topic came up 
three months ago and about if you actually look at your percentage spin um, against your revenue production, if you look at it in that standpoint, like if you, it almost sounds better to go to ownership and say, can I just have 1% to play with? And for some of these hotels, if you look at just 1% of even their brand.com production, it's still a very big number. So when they come back and say, oh, I'm going to give you $500 or some you know, fairly small number like that, it's 1% is actually usually ends up being a much bigger number than whatever you actually ended up with. So I would love to delve into that more and try that conversation with a couple owners because from the number standpoint, it makes a lot of sense. Well, and it also provides flexibility for opportunistic spend. So, you know, you don't know today what new product or what new service may be available in September. If you've got a percentage that you know you have to you can play with, you're able to take advantage of new stuff instead of like, oh well, we can't do the cool new thing because we said we were buying an ad in a wedding magazine or whatever. Absolutely. And I think that's the other key component to that as we go into 2022, you know, watching what's happening with BT, watching what's happening with group, watching what's happening with weddings. Like you kind of have to already have a plan in place, but you have to be able to either shift it forwards or shift it backwards, depending on what you're seeing in the market. I mean, if we're working with a hotel in California versus one in Florida, like the two, you might as well be operating on different planets in terms of what you see (laughs) in terms of what's happening with segmentation and how quick things come back. So you have to be able to look at that and say, okay, we know that at least in the past, this was a segment that we went after. We're still kind of waiting to quote unquote, come back. And I think there's a mindset in a lot of salespeople's brains that haven't really shifted in terms of they're so focused on, oh, well, until we get this one big client back. But if we've learned anything during the pandemic is we need to continue to make sure we're diversified in terms of all the different types of clients. And I think the other big teaching is As we look at, we've placed, Transient has saved a lot of hotels' rear ends in the last 18 months. And a lot of big group hotels never cared for that big business or never positioned themselves for that type of audience. So I'm hoping as group and BT come back that we don't lose sight of the value of that Transient traveler. That makes a lot of sense. Over the last two years, hotels were really forced to try a lot of new things. Can you think of a couple that were either the best or worst new marketing ideas that you either tried or you observed people trying? I'm trying to figure out what are the things that we can carry forward and what are the lessons we need to learn and remember and memorialize so we never do something dumb again? (laughs) I feel like I learn something new every day, but big picture learnings, I think, the knee-jerk reactions that we saw and turning off everything was probably one of the worst decisions. We always seem to lag behind. And you can only say this in hindsight. You can only go back and say, oh, we should have started those campaigns three months ago. But we always, as an industry, tend to lag seeing those trends and seeing those triggers. So I totally get why people turn off everything. But we did have a few clients that stuck their head down and said, you know, we're going to lean into this. And they consistently outperform their comp set because they put their money where they should have sooner than later uh, and decided to lean in. And you can only say in hindsight, that was a good choice. But that was certainly one of the worst things. I think the other things, and this goes against popular opinion, but the whole, should I be investing in MetaSearch? So again, we can share this link in the comments. When you look at, again, the ROI of MetaSearch, 
does that really make sense as a channel for you? So I think when you're looking at Metasearch, a lot of the big brands really push people into that avenue to spend money. And I was not okay with that. I did not recommend that to any of our clients. Even now in January, 2022, we're not really pushing Metasearch, but I encourage you to look at your channel mix, look at your performance as a whole. If you're running 40, 50% OTA contribution, yeah, you should probably run Metasearch. But in the whole scheme of things, I don't see as an incremental driver. Uh, and a lot of people still by default put their money there because they didn't know where else to put it. And I still don't think that's a good choice. So that's kind of some of my worst items in the playbook. You mentioned this earlier about business travel and groups, conventions. There are definitely two segments that are still struggling to regain ground. How do you think that marketing initiatives can impact those segments or can they? Is it just a matter of we have to wait until the market's ready? PT is really hard from a marketing side. I think where marketing can support sales is more in a relationship manner. So hopefully the hotel has a sales team and has brought back their sales team, brought back their BT manager because the relationships is probably what's going to save those hotels when that business does come back. But where marketing can really help is, you know, are you using technology to enhance those relationships? Are you using any type of, you know, email newsletter or using any type of automation? There's still some hotels that love to call up and say, hey, let's, you know, throw an offer out there. And that hasn't worked. It won't work. It's more about leveraging the, the automation, the email marketing, social media to enhance the relationships that hopefully your sales team already has. But marketing in and of itself isn't going to create that BT business if you don't have a sales counterpart to support it. Got it. What do you think are underserved features or revenue streams within hotels that could benefit from more marketing attention? The reason I ask this is we spend all of our time and all of our money talking about rooms. And I wonder if there are other places that you're like, man, if only somebody would give us money to do this, we could really make an impact in blank. Yeah. From a group and convention standpoint, we're getting ready to start re-engaging with some of the meeting planner type email marketing services like Convention Planet and ePro Direct. So I'm curious to see how those type of things perform. But there's some other more programmatic that especially I think branded hotels really don't tend to utilize just because if the brands aren't running it, they don't really know about some of the technology out there and the technology around defining who's in market and being able to understand even technology around who's visited your website, things like that is a certainly an underutilized tool. So there's a lot of people that are going to be like, oh, let me throw some money at the wall and see what sticks the spray and play model, right? By leveraging more data components and understanding, you know, has this person just bought an airline ticket to your market? Has this person just reserved a car in your market? Has this person just bought a ticket to a show that's in your market? Those people are going to be more likely to be actively looking for a hotel in your market than someone, than you just saying, oh, someone's stayed with us in the past. There's even technology around, you know, being able to put a geofence around if someone, for example, you know, regularly visits its airport, or if someone, you know, has been at, to a convention and you can actually know that six months ago, this person was at the convention center for this particular event. You can actually target those people. Oh, wow. So there's a lot of cool technology out there that can be leveraged in marketing. It's just a matter of making it work with your brand ecosphere, making sure you have the tracking in place to marry everything together. 
As you know, we like to make sure that our listeners come away from each episode of Top Floor with a couple of really practical, tangible, specific tips that they can try in their businesses. We talked about budget season earlier, but you know, hotel teams are now recovering from yet another brutal budget season and maybe beginning to refocus on the here and now a little bit more. What do you think are a couple of top marketing priorities that they should focus on? If you are a hotelier, you know, working on site, whether you're a GM, whether you're a DOS, I think they have a tendency to get caught into the day-to-day. They have a tendency to, you know, put out the fires that they should be putting out. But if you're on site, I really encourage you to do an image audit of your hotel. It sounds super 101, but a lot of people say, okay, we had a photo shoot. Great. But it's also about the positioning of those photos. What is the thumbnail image you're using on your brand.com site? What is your thumbnail image you're using on your Expedia site? Are you playing with that? Are you testing that? Are you changing it seasonally? Ooh, that's a good idea. Yeah. So if you, like we were working with a resort the other day, they have a water park, it's open seasonally. So we need to show a picture of the water park. When I go into ski season, we need to, you know, switch that up. So I think there's an opportunity to look at that from a, a user standpoint. And it's even if you're running back to Shelly's question about if you're running travel ads, like we always try to run one picture on the paid part and have a different picture represented on your organic listing. So you appeal to potentially two different, but you need to understand through each channel, what type of consumers are you going after? If you're going after partnering and you're trying to go after families, you should be leading with a picture of your double rooms versus your kinks. So it's things like that about really understanding how to leverage your photos in a way that makes sense and using those pictures to tell a story. If you've brought your shuttle back, which a lot of hotels just don't have the staffing, And that's a huge value proposition for a lot of hotels. Do you have a picture of your shuttle uh, versus requiring somebody to read through, you know, the third page down of your website to find that you still have your shuttle operational. So imagery is still super, super important. And I still place that as probably one of the number one things that hotels should be continuing to invest in. I love that advice. What do you think about, are there things that the hotel team should stop focusing on. Like, okay, we've been through two years of roller coaster rides, et cetera. It's time to stop doing blank. I think the staffing issues that we've seen across all departments um, has forced a lot of people to wear a lot of different hats. And I think you have to look at every person's role and say, you know, what are you good at? Where do you bring the most value to the table? And at some point you're going to have to start shedding off some of those layers. So we still see a lot of hotels trying to do their own social media and nine times out of 10, it's not going to cut it. Or it's the first thing to get to fall away when things get busy or there's a heavy check-in period or whatever. It's like an easy thing to stop doing. Yeah. And we've trained a lot of different management companies. They're like, oh, our DOS is going to do it. We go through the training. Everyone has a large amount of enthusiasm for three weeks and then it always falls off. So that one we always certainly struggle with. And I think there's a question around, you know, how do you build the team so that you have the best commercial strategy approach? There's still a lot of salespeople that try to wear that marketing hat, but the marketing world has evolved so much in the last 10 years. It's I think sales is certainly a full-time role and certainly needed. And I think it's really hard to watch salespeople try to wear that full-scale marketing hat. That makes a lot of sense. I think I would add on the 
maybe not stop focusing, but just stop doing is waiting for things to get back to quote, quote, normal, because I just don't believe that there is a normal to get back to. And so if we continue to just sit back and go like, okay, when things are back to normal, we'll do X, Y, Z, then there's no plan in place to get to X, Y, Z. I don't know. What do you think? Hands down. I mean, we have a lot of hotels that are like, oh, we feel like we should be doing something. We don't know what that is. So instead of being like, we used to always have a plan for SEO. We used to always have a plan for social. I think we need to take a look at it from a different standpoint and say, where are our gaps? Where's the comp set stealing our market share? And then try to create plans to close that gap instead of being, you know, are we checking the box for this? Are we checking the box for that? And it's a mindset shift that has to happen for a lot of people when you shift and say, you know, here's what we're doing well. How do we maximize upon that? And then what are we doing poorly? And I think it takes an entire team to look at that ecosphere and say, okay, this is what we're doing well versus what we're doing right and try to be able to close that. But it takes a whole team effort to make that analysis. And then number two, to make that change. Okay, Stephanie, now is time for... We're going to do some magic. We're going to predict the future. We're going to pull out our crystal ball, all that good stuff. So put on your wizard hat and join me. There is a lot of conversation and you alluded to this earlier about pulling marketing out of sales, putting it into revenue management. There, I think, is a lot of fluidity in those disciplines right now. So you have a magic wand. If you could set up the departments or disciplines from scratch, pretend there is no you know, 30-year history of how this is set up, how would you do it? How would you set up an org chart on the commercial strategy side? Well, first of all, I just want to say that I'm happy that marketing is getting a seat at the table these days. There's still a lot of companies that don't see the value. And I think it's a comprehension thing as it comes to marketing. So I think it's actually smart that marketing falls more under the revenue management, but I should probably say revenue strategy side of things, because I think there's an umbrella of things that have to happen in terms of whether it's sales, marketing, revenue management, everyone has to understand what segments everyone's trying to go after. You have to understand the comps in a way that unfortunately most marketers don't understand comprehensively. They're very siloed in what they are looking at in terms of website production. So one, if there's any marketers listening, you have to be able to evolve your understanding of total hotel performance if you want a seat at the table. But your question being, how would I structure it? I think most revenue managers, most really skilled revenue managers are probably best to move into that revenue strategy role where sales, marketing, revenue management all sit under that revenue strategy leader. But uh, I don't like that digital marketing as a whole still falls under many DOS roles because it's just not in their day-to-day skill set, unfortunately. I think it makes more sense than how a lot of people are moving the revenue managers into revenue strategy and that person oversees all of the above. What do you think, Susan? Mm, I go back and forth on this. I, you know, I think one of the pieces that still needs to be teased out is the difference between technical aptitude and creativity 
or sort of in our world, the difference between being able to execute on a particular system versus come up with a really good idea or write some content. So to me, those are the divisions that I think are more interesting, but I don't have a very well-formulated org chart, which is why I asked you because I need somebody to fill my brain with good ideas. (laughs) So speaking of filling our brains with good ideas, take a look in your crystal ball and tell me, What is next for you and what's next for Cogwell Marketing? So for us, I think, and we've seen this in other areas within hotels, is the evolution of technology. I think that the pandemic has forced that. And with lighter teams across all different divisions, we have to work smarter, not harder. So I do believe, you know, leveraging AI is going to become more important. The, you know, automation component of, Letting go of some of the things that we used to do manually is going to be key. So for us, continuing to evolve our reporting platform so that people can spend more time creating strategies uh, against those versus pulling and manually putting together this reporting. But as a future, as we evolve this platform, I really think looking at the cost of sales per channel and being able to make decisions based on instead of top line ROI, beyond looking at, at bottom line profitability per channel is going to be key to our, you know, making better decisions as marketers. Because when you start looking at all the different fees and where those go versus just looking at it from a spin standpoint is going to be key to looking at your total marketing performance. And then being able to partner that with your revenue management reports against your star report and be able to compare outside of your silo? Because I don't, as far as I know, I mean, Susan, tell me, is there anybody that has any true commercial strategy reporting? I know there's tons of revenue management platform reportings. There's a ton of sales and CRMs and there's a ton of marketing. So, but has there, is there a true hotel commercial strategy platform out there? I don't think so, but I think you're on the right track. Can you say a little bit more about what your new reporting platform includes and kind of what the broad strokes are of what it's going to offer? Yeah. So the platform is primarily built for multi-brand franchises because the hardest part is to be able to say, you know, here's my Marriott report, here's my Hilton report and my Hilton IHG Hyatt report. And which ones are doing better? A lot of owners tend to have multiple hotels in the same market. So they're very region specific. So how can you really understand what brands are working for you the hardest? So be able to look at your channel mix across all of your hotels, being able to look at your paid marketing initiatives, your social media, and your reviews all in one platform and being able to aggregate that and roll that up and say, you know, what are my benchmarks? What is it that, how can I tell if a hotel is underperforming if I can't look at all of this data, uh, especially if you're looking at 20, 50, 100 hotels, how do you, how do you look at a glance, what's working and what's not working uh, and being able to share that across other hotels. Uh, and hopefully in the future, we can have baselines to say, okay, this is, you know, everyone wants to know what's a good number. But if you're an extended stay hotel versus a full service hotel, then your metrics are going to be totally different. So once we have a platform that has a larger volume, we should be able to provide better benchmarking numbers that are segmented by brand, by hotel type. So just from a practical perspective, this is sort of like, rather than having an analyst in your office who takes... Marriott reports, Hilton reports, IHG, Hyatt, et cetera, et cetera, and puts all of that information in a spreadsheet for you to be able to compare. The platform does that for you. Exactly. 
And we have that capability using AI to you know, pull this data over time. So a lot of people are going into 2022, trying to compare to 2019 numbers, but being able to manipulate that data versus looking at a static snapshot that one report might give you, you should be able to compare that diagonally up and down crossways, whatever way you want to look at the data, you wouldn't want to be able to make that comparison. That sounds really exciting. I can't wait to see a sample. So before we tell you goodbye, Stephanie, we are going to head down to the loading dock where all of the best stories get told. Going down. Stephanie, what is a story you would only tell on the loading dock? I love this segment of your show. Can I tell you, Susan? (laughs) Me too. It's the favorite part. I'm going to go back to my F&B roots and, you know, the energy that happens around these big events are awesome. So back in my days of working at a hotel with 160,000 square feet of meeting space and running massive events, we had the NBA All-Star event. So this is something that you know happens um, at different hotels every year. So I've done a lot of data collection and I was really excited to have it at our hotel, but it was stretching our means. I love that say. in your F&B role, you did data collection to get ready for the event. It's a very Stephanie Smith move to make. <laughs> <laughs> so I think, so this was one of those events where we had to do ticket sales, but I had to have 34 bartenders. Oh my goodness. So, you know, on on any given day, I probably had at most 15 on-call bartenders. So I had a, I was training catering managers. I was training the GM's son. Everybody (laughs) was going to be a bartender, right? (laughs) So fast forward to the night of the event, I got everybody staffed up, everybody's trained. And lo and behold, no one shows up until like 1230. No one starts to show up until well after I thought I was going to have at least $50,000 in the bank. Wait, you mean the guests or the bartenders? The guests. Oh my God. So everyone's sitting around doing nothing for like four hours <laughs> and everyone has to buy tickets. So what happens is, is everyone gets there at 1230. They don't realize that I have to do last call at 115. So I have 45 minutes to make all the money to pay all of these people, right? Oh my God. So I had to pull not the... It wasn't the best guest move. So I'm sorry for anyone that I took advantage of, but I sold tickets right up until last call. <laughs> and then I had some people that were very angry with me about all these tickets they couldn't buy drinks for. So the uh, assistant director of rooms, now my husband, I pulled in and I said, you've got to be, you've got to do ticket buyback. So you're in the worst position right now. It's two o'clock in the morning. Are you already you married? To, no. Oh God! <laughs> so he had people yelling at him, screaming. Uh, most people didn't want to wait in line because I had one person doing ticket buybacks. So that was a good lesson learned. But I think the coolest part, you know, this is NBA All-Star. So we had everybody, you know, who's to a basketball here at this event. And Shaquille O'Neal was in the back hall. He had to get out. And so he was coming down the back hallway. So we're breaking down bars. And I'm looking down the hallway. We have this really, really long hallway. And I can see someone that had that's about 18 inches above everybody else. Wow. So Shaquille has probably six people surrounding him, but he's a full head and shoulders <laughs> taller than everyone else. And he's coming down the back hallway and we've got ice and everything everywhere. And he comes up super, super nice guy. One of my bartenders wants to shake his hand. His 
Shaquille O'Neal's hand goes halfway up this guy's arm. I mean, he's got, I don't think you realize how big this man is. I mean, it was just looking at him shake his hand. It was like, wow. <laughs> And it was a good who's who night. Of the, I did not make very good money that night. It, it was a complete flop in terms of revenue, but it was still a really cool event and a really cool experience to plan for. Well, I love that story. And I'm just trying to picture you and your future husband fighting it out over those tickets. Stephanie Smith, thank you so much for being here. I hope that our listeners were taking detailed notes. And I really appreciate you riding up to the top floor with us. Thanks for having me, Susan. It was super fun. Thank you so much. This episode is sponsored in part by She Has a Deal. She Has a Deal offers inspiration and education to achieve the goal of increasing the number of women hotel owners and developers. With pitch competitions for both early career and experienced women, programs channel the power of collaboration and mentorship by connecting experts and newbies, experienced investors, and hotel operations leaders. Learn more at shehasadeal.com. Thanks so much for listening today. You can find the show notes at topfloorpodcast.com forward slash episode forward slash 19. Top Floor is produced by John Albano, who also composed and performed our elevated elevator music with vocals by Cameron Albano. If you enjoyed the episode, please share it with your friends and colleagues after you leave us a five-star review. You can subscribe to Top Floor on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you like to listen. Thanks for listening to the Top Floor Podcast at www.topfloorpodcast.com. Have a hospitality marketing question? Reach us at 850-404-9630 to be featured in a future episode. Top